0: Welcome to another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents Podcast, a production of the Criminal Law Department at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School in Charlottesville, Virginia. Every two weeks, we release a new episode. Today, we're going to have a conversation about a recent opinion from the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces. Please note that these episodes may contain facts and circumstances surrounding criminal trials. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Right. Hear you, hear me hear it. The Honourable of the United States, the, of with the
0: Armed Forces, is now open and in session. God save the United States of America this month. Welcome back to another episode of the Criminal Law Presents podcast. I'm Major Adam Kostick, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Major Rheanne Wentz. Major Wentz, welcome to the Criminal Law Department. This is your first podcast.
1: It is. I'm so excited to be here uh, with the criminals and to be on the podcast for the first time.
0: It's it's exciting. What
1: uh, what cases are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to talk about United States versus Latin and United States versus Shields. And fundamentally, both of these cases are dealing with the reasonableness of how law enforcement agents engaged in the search of digital evidence. It's important to note that both of these cases involve a determination of whether a judge abused their discretion, which means that a different case with different facts could result in an entirely different conclusion. But I'm getting ahead of myself, and we can talk about the facts of those cases uh, as we move on.
0: Sure. So in the simplest form, how would you distill the two cases down?
1: The standard of reasonableness from the Fourth Amendment applies to every search and it applies to every aspect of the search that law enforcement is conducting. And that is a big part of what the court is going to consider even when we're searching digital evidence, which the founders could not have contemplated when they drafted the Fourth Amendment.
0: Do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about US v. Latin?
1: Absolutely. United States versus Latin is an Air Force case. In January 2019, First Lieutenant Latin took Cadet A.W. to his apartment where he engaged in a series of sexual offenses. Cadet A.W. subsequently reported this. During the course of the investigation, the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, or OSI, obtained a search authorization for Lieutenant Latin's phone. The search authorization was supported by an affidavit that stated that Cadet A.W. had sent a text to her boyfriend and that the boyfriend had sent texts to Lieutenant Latin. The search authorization was granted without any limits on how the OSI special agent was to search the phone. The only limitation it contained was that it would expire on February 16th of 2019. While searching the phone, the special agent, identified by her initials L.B., found text between Cadet A.W. and Lieutenant Latin, as well as text between A.W.'s boyfriend and Lieutenant Latin. Special Agent L.B. then proceeded to, quote, rummage through the phone for anything that might be interesting for OSI's investigation into appellant. And I use that word rummage very specifically. It was quoted by CAF from the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals decision. And I think it really speaks to CAF's opinion of this search. And one of the things that I think is really important for listeners and practitioners to keep in mind as we're discussing this case is that this search was bad. This search was unlawful. It violated the Fourth Amendment. The only real question in the case was whether or not the exclusionary rule should apply.
0: And if I remember correctly, the Air Force Court really dove into the factual analysis that the military judge conducted uh, The military judge took a lot of evidence. The agent testified for a while. And and the rummage language really came from the different steps that the agent took that were beyond the scope of the search authorization.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. The search that the OSI agent conducted was pretty wild. And I would also characterize it as rummaging. For example, the OSI agent looked at texts from individuals that were only identified by phone number, so had, in theory, no relevance or relationship to the case. And she did that, quote, just to see who it was and what they were talking about. She searched the data for any mention or reference to OSI, which again, had no relevance to the case at hand. And then also her examination continued past February 16th of 2019, which was the date that the search authorization expired. Now during this Very far-reaching search, Special Agent LB found text messages suggesting that the appellant might have witnessed an unrelated sexual assault. Upon further investigation, OSI determined that Lieutenant Latin did not just witness the sexual assault, but actually committed it. And ultimately, he was charged for committing the acts against AW and the acts against a second victim, K.A., At the trial level, the defense filed a motion to suppress the text messages related to KA because they argued that the search went too far outside of the scope of the warrant. The OSI agent testified at that motions hearing, and she said that it was her standard practice to search everything on any phone that comes into the government's possession because it was her understanding that if the government has probable cause for something on the phone— Law enforcement could search anything on the phone. Now, the military judge ultimately ruled that the evidence in the case was admissible, that the exclusionary rule should not apply.
0: For our listeners, do you mind just explaining briefly how the exclusionary rule ties into this Fourth Amendment search analysis, and then ultimately it'll lead us into the analysis of this case?
1: Absolutely. So it's important for listeners and practitioners to remember that there's no enforcement mechanism in the Fourth Amendment. So it protects us, right, from these unreasonable searches and seizures. But there's nothing in the amendment itself that says this is how courts should answer if there is a violation of the Fourth Amendment. And so the fourth, the the exclusionary rule is a judicially created remedy to deter wrongful police conduct, to deter police from violating the Fourth Amendment. But it anticipates the concern that this is a drastic remedy to exclude evidence because potentially whole cases get thrown out, charges get thrown out, The Supreme Court talked about this balance between deterring police conduct and the cost to the justice system extensively in Herring versus United States. In that case, the Supreme Court noted that suppression is not an automatic consequence of a Fourth Amendment violation. The question turns on the culpability of the police conduct and the potential of exclusion to deter that police conduct. They said, To the extent that the application of the exclusionary rule could provide some incremental deterrent, that benefit must be weighed against its substantial social costs. Put another way, the behavior has to be purposeful and therefore something that the police can change or be deterred from. And that deterrent effect has to outweigh the costs to the justice system. Now that factors into MRE 311-alpha. Which states that generally evidence that is obtained unlawfully, so in violation of either the rules or the Fourth Amendment, is inadmissible against an accused if the accused makes a timely motion to suppress, the accused has a reasonable expectation of privacy, and the exclusion of evidence results in an appreciable deterrence of future unlawful searches or seizures, and the benefits of such deterrence outweigh the costs to the justice system." MRE 311-alpha incorporates this herring balancing test. So what impact will it have on justice versus what deterrent effect will it have on police?
0: And it seems like in this case that uh, the exclusionary rule should apply based off of rummaging through a phone um, outside of the scope of the search authorization. But that wasn't the case. And so in your analysis, could you tell us why the court decided to find that While the search exceeded the scope of the authorization, it was still reasonable under the Fourth Amendment. The
1: dissenters in the case would absolutely agree with you. There's some very strong language from the author of the dissent that really just says that this is a a rummaging and that this is something – this is very specifically what the Fourth Amendment was designed to protect against. But CAF's majority opinion focuses almost entirely on the third prong of military rule of evidence 311-alpha. CAF broke out MRE 311-alpha into two tests, the appreciable deterrence test and the balancing test. And essentially, the exclusionary rule does not apply if the government proves, so the burden is on the government, by a preponderance of the evidence that the deterrence of future unlawful searches or seizures is not appreciable, or that the government proves by a preponderance of the evidence that such a deterrence does not outweigh the cost to the justice system. So said another way, if the government can prove that law enforcement will not be deterred by this ruling, or if they can prove that the cost to the justice system outweighs the deterrent effect, then the evidence will be admissible. Now, the majority opinion breaks out 311-alpha into two different tests, but it focuses really on the balancing test. And after reviewing the arguments from both parties, CAF concluded that the cost to society And the benefits of future deterrence are neither true or false, but instead are matters that depend on judgment. Regardless of whether we would agree with the military judge's balancing of the costs and benefits on de novo review, we cannot say that the military judge's decision was clearly unreasonable. And so, CAF really doesn't go into a lot of analysis of specifically the balancing test. They do talk about it a little bit, but ultimately, what they decide is that we're not reviewing, it doesn't matter what we think. The question is, did the military judge abuse their discretion? And and CAF answers no.
0: De novo review abuse of discretion uh, for our newer practitioners out there. Could you touch upon that just briefly?
1: Sure. Those are standards of review that appellate courts use. And so different questions, different assignments of error will have different standards of review. De novo review is an entirely fresh new look. There's no deference paid to the decision made by the military judge. With abuse of discretion, there is a high amount of deference paid to what that military judge decided. And and really, CAF is – this is glossing it over quite a bit. But really, CAF only going to disturb that decision if it was clearly erroneous. Did the military judge get the law wrong or did the military judge get the facts wrong?
0: And so in this case, the military judge did not abuse their discretion.
1: Yes. CAF – upheld the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals decision and upheld the military judge's decision and and decided not to apply the exclusionary rule to the 2018 text
0: messages that the
1: OSI agent found.
0: And since we're talking about abuse of discretion and how facts matter, uh, let's transition to US v. Shields. Could you tell our listeners why the facts mattered in that case?
1: Yeah, because this case really turned on the facts as testified to by the experts in the case. So Shields is really a discussion of the mechanics and the reasonableness of the search conducted by the digital forensic examiner. So this is a case out of the Marine Corps. On December 23, 2018, some Marine recruits reported that the driver of a car had exposed his genitals to them while they were walking on base. After a preliminary investigation pointed to Appellant, law enforcement obtained a search authorization for his phone. The search authorization allowed law enforcement to search for all location data stored on the appellant's phone or within any application within the phone for 23 December 2018. The digital forensic examiner, or DFE, used Celebrite to organize the data that he had extracted from the phone. And Celebrite is a software that law enforcement uses to pull the data and then organize it and review it. The DFE couldn't find any relevant location data in the folder on Celebrite that said location data, so he started to broaden his search because his search authorization allowed him to look for location data. It didn't specify where or in what form, so he broadened his search and he began to look at photos. Now, this might seem a little unusual, but as he testified, the DFE knew that images or photos often contain GPS or location information. And so he opened the images category. He sorted the images first by file size in descending order. Now, again, why would a DFE do this? Well, it's because user-generated images are bigger. And so what that means is that photos that the person has taken of which the location data would be relevant, are going to be some of the biggest photos. And so he sorted them by size because those would be more likely the photos that he has taken, as opposed to, say, photos that he received by text messages. Photos that he took would be the largest thing. And so the DFE organized by size first. He then, before he could apply a filter to Filter by date, to sort by date, he noticed a thumbnail of what appeared to be child pornography. He stopped and obtained an additional search authorization at that point. And, of course, then the accused in that case was charged with possession of child pornography. The defense filed a motion to suppress and obtained their own expert to testify. The military judge at the trial level ruled in favor of the government and held that the search was conducted lawfully. And the issue that CAF granted and the issue that CAF considered was, again, whether or not the military judge abused their discretion in denying the motion to
0: suppress. And the reason the defense had their own digital forensic expert uh, as a consultant and then testified at the motions hearing was really this dueling battle of whether or not you needed to sort by size before you started by date – and it ultimately came down to the judge's decision on on whether or not each of those interpretations of how to search a phone were reasonable.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it, it, that was going to weigh heavily because how to search weighed into the reasonableness of the search. The military judge needed to understand the technology in order to understand if the search was conducted reasonably because not a lot of judges i don't know any judges that would have the requisite knowledge to make that determination without expert testimony and the appellant based upon the testimony of their ex uh, of their expert uh, argued sort of two things one that sorting by size rather than date was unreasonable and two that after sorting by size the examiner could not have seen the suspected child pornography without scrolling so there was a window where he the dfe could see images and the defense argued that he could not have seen the cp if he had if he hadn't been scrolling which means they argued that he should have stopped and put the date filter on before anything else happened and because the dfe scrolled then the image was not properly within plain view because as we remember in order for plain view to be an exception the person that views the contraband or the evidence has to be there lawfully right so in in a physical context we think about going into an apartment you know you have a search authorization and you walk in uh, the police officers walk in and they see something
0: so based on what you just told us how did that all factor into the military judge's analysis and ultimately caps analysis in this case
1: At the trial level, the military judge determined that the government's DFE did not engage in an unreasonable search, despite testimony from the defense expert that there may be a better way to search. Specifically, the defense expert testified that the DFE could have sorted by date and then by size. But for CAF, that wasn't enough to make the search unreasonable and therefore a violation of the Fourth Amendment. CAF agreed, with the trial judge and found that the government DFE did not sort of indiscriminately rummage, like we were talking about with Latin, didn't indiscriminately rummage through Shields's phone. There was a reason and a thought process and a purpose behind why the DFE was doing what he was doing. And then for the second part about the scrolling, uh, again, CAF found that the Military judge at the trial level did not abuse their discretion in finding that the examiner did not scroll to see the suspected image of child pornography. So the government expert testified that he could see the image without scrolling and the facts came out that the default for Celebrite was to see eight images and the suspected child pornography was at 10 images. So the question was, did the DFE improperly scroll and then look in place where he shouldn't have been and therefore it wouldn't be in plain view? But the defense expert testified that the default for Celebrite was eight images. Lines or eight images, but that could be affected by things like screen resolution and monitor size. And the military judge did not explicitly conclude, but by implication concluded that the DFE did not scroll, which CAF found was a reasonable conclusion from the evidence they had in front of them, the military judge had in front of them. For both arguments by the appellant, CAF found that the military judge did not abuse their discretion because they had the evidence in front of them. They had these facts in front of them. And so they didn't get the law wrong and they didn't get the facts wrong. And so CAF said that this is not an abuse of discretion.
0: For the practitioners out there, Major Wentz, what what is the ultimate takeaway from these two cases?
1: Well, I'm new here, so I hope I can have more than one takeaway because I have a couple. So the first thing is that And this is really focusing on Latin, but I think it applies to both cases. For government counsel, you have to understand what your law enforcement officers are being taught and how they understand what they're being taught and how they're applying that training. I think Latin was really a windfall for the government. I think in another case with other facts, it could have turned out very differently. And that kind of brings me to my second point, that CAF noted in both cases that different facts Different judge could have come out differently. So it's important for practitioners not to rely on these cases for the idea that these searches were necessarily okay. In Latin, they were very specific that this was an unlawful search.
0: But it all comes down to the military judge's conclusion on what is reasonable. And I think your point is absolutely correct that facts matter. And so if you're the government, or the defense, you need to develop your facts and your motions. And before you even write that motion, you need to investigate to ensure that what you're saying and presenting will help advance your position or argument.
1: And you need to understand the tech. I agree with all of that, but you need to understand the tech as part of your investigation. Uh, I think there's a lot of practitioners who sort of vaguely understand how cell phones work. You know, they understand how to use their computers, they understand a lot about technology. A lot of practitioners are probably what they call digital natives. But this is a very unique area of the law and of law enforcement investigation that practitioners have to understand really, really well in order to present it to the judge for them to make a decision. The other point for practitioners to consider is that the language in the search authorization in Shields was very broad. An appellant in that case didn't argue that it was facially invalid. And I think this case really presents the sort of constant friction that courts have had to deal with in trying to apply the Fourth Amendment to the digital context. The Fourth Amendment, remember, requires that the search authorization particularly describe the places to be searched and the things to be seized in a physical space, that's easy to do, but in a digital space it's much harder to do. and being able to search anywhere that there could be location data is going to give law enforcement access to most, if not all, of the accused phone. Now this case references United States versus Richards. Uh, which held that in the context of cell phones and computers, a search method is not unreasonable simply because it is not optimal. And Richards is a really helpful case for those folks dealing with walking that fine line between the Fourth Amendment's requirement for particularity and the places to be searched and effective law enforcement investigations. Searches have to be expansive enough to allow investigators access to the places where incriminating materials may be hidden. Yet not so broad that they become the sort of free-for-all general searches the Fourth Amendment was designed to protect.
0: Major Wentz, I think uh, we're getting close on time. Is there anything that you want the field to know before we wrap up this episode of CAF Chats?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing for everyone to take away from this is to get to know the tech, get to know your experts, and really understand the nuances of how the facts make every single Fourth Amendment case just a
0: little bit different. Thank you so much for joining us here today on CAF Chats. We look forward to hearing more from you, Major Wentz. Welcome to the department again, and we look forward to having our listeners back on our next episode.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us today for another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents podcast. If anything you heard sparked a thought, we'd love to connect with you. Your comments help us create better future content for the field or the fleet. Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. The information can be found in the show notes for today's episode. The views expressed in today's podcast are those of the presenters and not necessarily the Judge Advocate General, or the Department of the Army, or the Department of Defense.
1: Thanks, Counsel, for both sides. And the court will stand in recess until further order of the court.